Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're, we're going to get Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio, broadcasting live on Full Service Radio from the Lion Hotel in Admas Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Rachel Koontz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. And for all of our loyal listeners out there, don't forget to leave us a review telling the world how much you love us. And for any new listeners out there here on the Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, what makes a great ghost story, or how to construct the perfect sonnet, or just how we all sit down each day in front of that empty page. This side. We sometimes play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series, and we invite some of those writers and other community members to join our discussion. On today's show, we want to talk about repetition. We want to talk about repetition. We want to talk about repetition as a writing tool. We want to talk about how we use repetition to create tension. We want to talk about how we use repetition to create emphasis. We want to talk about how we use repetition to create absurdity. Is this feeling absurd yet? (laughs) What we just did there is called an anaphora which is the repetition of a word or phrase at the beginning of successive clauses. And epistrophe is the repetition of a word or phrase at the end of successive clauses. So that will come in handy at your next trivia night. Write that down. Noted. (laughs) Got it? Like noted? No. (laughs) Um, So I feel like when we talked about suspense as a writing tool, I said suspense is the most important writing tool that there is and then when I was thinking about repetition I was like repetition is the most important writing tool that there is because it's so powerful right it can be used in to, to do so many different things well I think if we're getting to the heart of it like you just hit on it it's the tension that's really the most important thing in a piece right mm-hmm. growing shaping and and forming and and knowing the rhythm of that tension and both suspension suspense and repetition and other things are ways to get at that tension absolutely um i i personally prefer repetition to suspense hey (laughs) courtney weighing in here because i don't know (laughs) you see well and again i feel like we see it more in the poetic forms Mm -hmm. um and so when you see it in prose and nonfiction and essay it's actually like all the more it's so exciting Mm -hmm. it's like oh we're getting some music in this prose we're getting musical i can feel the rhythm (laughs) it's driving me you can't see me but i'm dancing i'm feeling uncomfortable comfortable like it's too early for this oh it's noon it's not it's early. not early at all Courtney wake up uh, <laughs> I've been awake man 
born awake. Um, yeah, so it, it, it also has this, uh, this way of kind of transforming the other elements that are on either side of that which is repeated, right? Yeah, that's my favorite thing that repetition does. I like when something becomes absurd. It's like on Family Guy when they repeat the thing and then you're like, this is funny and then they keep and then going until you're uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. and you're like, this is uncomfortable and then they keep and going funny again. until you're fu- it's funny again. Yeah. Oh, that's my favorite. Um, yeah, I would like to see that in writing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I love the absurdity that it can create. I love the tension that it can create. But my favorite thing that repetition can do is change the meaning of the words you're Mm, using the same words but the meaning changes Mm -hmm. based on the things that are around it and the way it's structured and Mm -hmm. the way it's being repeated and that's my favorite because you know as a writer I love words and the power of words and it just changes it shows you how powerful how much one thing can do yeah yeah um and you know, I there's intention to it, right? So it's like when when you're talking about that absurdity and like in comedy and comedic writing, mm-hmm. you can understand the flow that's coming there where it's like, this is funny, this isn't funny, now this is funny again. <laughs> I think that's harder to do and not feel like you're being hit over the head in Absolutely, prose. Yeah. So when you're like, okay, yeah, you said that. Yeah, I get it, the dog's dead. Like <laughs> over and over and over. And you're like, that really affected you. And I'm like, <laughs> um, not relevant at all. Um but so it's like how it's delicate, right? So of how course, do you it's do like, that? I feel like we always come down to this. Everything that we talk about, it's like it's a fine line. How do you skirt the line? How do you make it effective? How do you make it work? But I think, and this is something that we, um, you know, talk about all the time, is when you're doing that, when you're trying to build repetition into your piece, speak it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Say so, it out loud. Yeah. And then you feel really what's happening to the word, the phrase or whatever, and to everything else. Yeah. And that's the other it. thing Courtney and I always talk about in our workshops and reading things aloud, that when you read it aloud and if you keep stumbling over it, that's a sign right. that it needs to be edited. There's right. something not right about the, and the repetition has everything to do with rhythm. So there's something not right about the rhythm there. Right. You're, you're, if you're not feeling the rhythm, I'm dancing again. <laughs> then it's, it's not seat working. It's It's like a shoulder shimmy. So favorite examples of repetition. I mean, I always come back to Gertrude Stein again and again. It's my favorite. (laughs) Um, Because she just is so playful with words in the Mm -hmm. poem, I Done the Same. And she brings things back. She echoes herself and, again, changes the meaning each time. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that's one of my favorites. Courtney? Yeah, I mean, the whole time we've been talking, I was actually just reread this poem for the first time in a long time, and it's one of my all-time favorites. It's Yusuf Kaminyaka, and it's uh, uh, Blue Light Lounge Sutra for the Performance Poets at Something Something Long Title um, in New York <laughs> City. <laughs> and the the rhythm of it is the need got to be so deep and that phrase is repeated mm. over and over and it changes as the poem goes on um, but it's like you feel the need and the urgency because of that little phrase but you also like feel the necessity of it changing and turning as it goes on um, yeah like yeah. a driving forward mm-hmm. yeah that reminds me yeah um, it like push it it it, it not it, it forces you it's not just like a hey come along with me for this ride it's like no 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 you gotta go it's like pushing we're you. going i'm pushing you pushing <laughs> yeah. you pushing you yeah it. 
Um, well, our, our new radio intern, Abby Newhouse, helped me with this episode, and she gave me a few ideas, if I could find them. Um, Deborah Levy, Swimming Home, is a good fiction example, yep. and uh, Jeannie Vanesco, which is apparently a Baltimorean writer, hey, and The Glass Eye, so there's your homework assignment, listeners. Read those. Right? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure we reiterate Read it. <laughs> Anywho, coming up. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to bring in a local poet who we know and love, um, who knows all about using repetition, and we'll be right back for that. Welcome back to the Inner Loop Radio. We've been discussing repetition in writing, and joining us on the show to help us explore this topic is Sarah Ann Wynn, a prolific local poet and one of our favorite veteran interloopers, who's published many chapbooks and whose work has appeared in countless magazines, and who also teaches this very subject. Woo-hoo. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you here in the studio, ready to have some fun and do some dancing with us. You ready to dance? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So before the break, Courtney and I were chatting about our favorite examples of repetition in writing. What are, what are some years? Let's jump right in. Oh my gosh. Your faves. Um, So a lot of mine are poetry because I'm mostly a poet, even though I read in a lot of different genres, but um, uh, N. Scott Mama days, uh, he, he really, uses amazing uh, repetition mm. and anaphora especially in his poetry and um, Lucille Clifton mm-hmm. um, and both of those are ones that I assign as um, memorization in my classes Ooh. I'm old school I love and memorization me too and especially repetition in the memorization um, really brings out the musicality in writing and I think that mm-hmm. like that's something that people really connect with is it's in our culture it's mm-hmm. in the songs on the radio I love that one of the examples that I found was um if you like it, you know, put a ring on it. Um, <laughs> talk yeah. about dancing. Yeah. Um, but I really, I think that that's something that um, helps people connect deeper to the writing because it's actually in our body, that repetition. Yeah. Mm. I was, that's, that was, I was just going to say when you were saying we hear it in our culture and we definitely, we also feel it in our very, in our bodies and in, in our heartbeats, in our breathing, in all of those kind of circadian rhythm things that happen. It's, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, and it's also a way that we return to our, our own thinking when we when we're when we're thinking about something deeply and looking at facets of it, we we follow our own trail in patterns, and it mm. provides a pattern for us to follow the writer's trail. And I really love that about it. Oh. How each successive line it turns it just slightly and it modifies it just slightly and transforms the meaning from line to line. Mm. And it's something I really admire in writers who can use it artfully. I love I love that idea. And Following as Sarah was talking, she was. <laughs> turning an imaginary (laughs) object in her hand but I love that image because it's like you're taking the thing that you're trying to describe and you're turning it and looking at it from many different angles and repetition is a way of of doing that of studying it but also signaling the reader that this is what I'm doing it's almost as if there's this there's the uh, shit what is the (laughs) what is the it's that like philosophy 101 where what is the core like the core the 
No, no, no. Okay. Like the core thing of something. Um, the core thing of something. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's like, like it's, uh, uh, anyway, anyway, just say anyway. What you're there's like a core, right? And then like the spinning it, you see, you're seeing the different sides, but like the thing that is repeated is that core thing mm, right. that transforms with experience and with influence of outside forces. Um, how do you, how do you make your students memorize so I scaffold I, I know that was, like, that was like, this is a thought from like a minute ago. Like, now that I have the microphone. Welcome to Courtney's brain. So what I do, first off, is I say, look at the repetition. So we mm. know, we build their expectation, just like when we're writing a poem. You're building a rep, an expectation with that repetition. And there is a point where I think when you know it's not working is when it you're breaking the expectation in good ways. Like the person yeah. goes, oh, mm. like a sonnet by the end, that turn, it, it provides this new, fa- entirely new facet for you. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there's repetition, the subject has changed. And so I, I talk about the repetition. I uh-huh. give them what is repeating. Let's all talk about what's repeating. Mm-hmm. And then I actually have forms for many of the poems that I make them memorize that I've done fill in the blanks. So like okay. progressive fill in the blanks. And nice. I start with the repetition. So yes. I erase the repetition. I'm like, what do you think this one is? We all know this one. And then little by mm-hmm. little, they learn it basically line by line um, okay. that way. And I just take out the the pertinent nouns at that point right. <laughs> so actually i start with lucille clifton's let there be new flowering oh, um nice. which she repeats let there be yes very frequently and there are very few lines i think that one has six lines so that's also what i talk approachable about as yes well. right i start small but i say almost half of these words are the same mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. and so you can do this um and then i also show them the um five-year-old reciting it and so kind of shame them into do this so funny I was gonna say like kids pick up songs like even before they pick up learn yeah uh words or being able to speak sentences they can sing songs because of the rhythm so it should be well it's an it's almost a um what it serves as is the same way that rhyme rhyme serves Mm -hmm. so you've got this expectation of what's going to come next and it shoots off these pleasure centers in your mind oh I know what that is every time you re-encounter <laughs> mm, it yeah. so I think that helps them mm-hmm, memorize that mm-hmm. they're like oh I've got this I recognize that <laughs> yes, exactly right um and it also helps drive home the the images in the poems sure. which are so important mm-hmm. so that's that's usually how I do it um but I do require two or three a, a year um or not a year sorry a semester of memorization when I'm teaching undergrads yeah so speaking of how it's working in poetry have you found a difference in how repetition works in poetry as opposed to prose? Mm-hmm. Um, to or a is certain it just extent. The, it's just the same with a different background? Prose, prose you can be a little looser. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to return to it immediately. Mm-hmm. Poetry is a very tight space. Mm-hmm. Um, even longer poems, mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of room within... I mean, no pun intended, you know, stands are room. Um, <laughs> but still, you don't have much space to navigate. You've got to keep that reader's expectations mm-hmm. tight so that um, the pattern is consistent. Where I think with prose, um, I was looking, again, I teach Mary Ruffles, mm-hmm. I remember, I remember, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't realize had to have been influenced by Joe Brainerd's I remember, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a little bit. The prompt is based on those. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, she, she kind of um, strays from I remember for paragraphs at a time and then she'll come back to it and you're like oh yeah that's what we're doing right now um so remembering (laughs) yeah we're remembering so it's a different kind of um rhythm Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to that rhythm 
Yeah. yeah, I think that's that sounds right to me that you can repeat and then fall away for a little while and then come back and repeat. And it's like a more flowing kind of a rhythm instead of the tuckada, 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 like a drum. It's more like, you know, I don't know, I'm doing something with my hands. <laughs> Free flowing. <laughs> the hula or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, if you repeat um, intermittently, it sets up this expectation in the reader that there's a pattern of form. So that like the villanelle or mm-hmm. pontoon, you're going to go back to it in um, sort of more tightly mandated ways. Um, and if you don't, then the reader's like, well, did they mess up? Did is this right. intentional? Um, so you have to be really careful that you're you're intentionally breaking the form. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's easier if you just stay tight to the form. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was yeah. going to say, like, uh, for any writers out there who want to try out repetition, one of the rules that you're first taught about repetition is the rule of three, which can be applied to so many different aspects of writing, um, which is that you repeat it three times and then it just feels right. Like you do three adjectives or you do three subordinate clauses and it just feels right. Um, And I totally love the rule of three. It's like beat into my writing. It's like really freaking (laughs) needed in there. Um, But my question is, is there ever a time, do you believe, first of all, in the rule of three? And is there ever a time that you should break it? Um, I do believe in it, but as a poet, you don't necessarily encounter it in the same way. Mm. Um, so, like, your your images might be um, very loosely within that rule of three. That something red might appear three times. Mm-hmm. However, you might not return to the same thing, like the same object, mm-hmm. and it might be very gentle. You don't want to whack someone over the head mm-hmm. with the rule of three, like, mm-hmm. oh, there's the, the th- you know the baby bear is going <laughs> to be they imminent. Are. <laughs> 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 you don't want that. So I think that um, it just goes with what whether or not you're obeying the form like why are you doing this I think intention is everything that you have to be careful to show that you're being artful Mm -hmm. that you're not accidentally stumbling into the rule of three or Mm -hmm. um you're not subverting it accidentally right um because and I just I just I've studied Elizabeth Bishop's poetry a lot and it just occurred to me last year that the filling station has double words it never occurred to me she buries them so Mm. gently within the poem that it doesn't pop up in in your mind immediately if she had had three i would have been like oh Oh. she's doing a thing (laughs) she's doing a thing (laughs) i I recognize that thing (laughs) exactly i think the art is everything so so that intention and that craft is really really important and allow people to experience it on that those those subliminal levels yeah exactly that you're not necessarily conscious of right so uh, now i'm super excited to hear your poetry do you have a few examples i do i have two and they use it differently so um i have a whitman um a whitman inspired one it was for the Mm. 200th anniversary oh yeah um that i wrote for the uh district lit Mm -hmm. celebration um downtown and this is called the body analog and it's after i hear america singing Uh sort of um but it uses his tactics with repetition because, man, is he a repeater. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> Wait, he what? He's a repeater. <laughs> um, body analog. I sing the body analog, the body offline, driven to silences. I sing the nearly out of reach to all but the siren-filled night with those retreating to the highway berms beside poppies closed for the night, shut down or sleeping in shade or refusing to meet anyone's eyes on the last metro car. So sleeps the body virtual, unable to rest for long, 
the eyes of the mind and the eyes of the body disengaged from each other, the body endlessly wanting, as if all things are achievable, if only the hands can attend. I sing the Bluetooth connection. I sing the hands free, the hennaed, the otherwise occupied, the decorated tethers, the body embellished, tattooed with text profiles, fed with constant feeds. I sing the described and rejected body, always hungry, the body coated with longing to be not the body virtual, puppet propped against online corners, a winky face, an imagined rose. I sing the body out of batteries, charging uncharged through life without access, the body suddenly out of date, expiration breathing down the body's cordless neck. Oh, wall socket, oh, adapter, oh, stranger who will let me connect. Not even knowing the smallest thing, time, to the largest, the unanswered plea for attention, the last message from a lover with an ultimatum. Who among us is not a clockwork body, daily disconnected, as any good songbird from clocks must find its nest or make one? I sing the body renewable, plant-based carbon and carb-on and no-carb. I sing the body upcycled into trees or producing diamonds from dust. You who can wear your dearest losses next to you, who choose to repurpose the past. I sing the gemstone body after body. Who dreamt up this next step? Push me into myself until my facets flare against sunward. Body after body, I sing you. I celebrate. I sing an oldie, a cover, a stolen track downloaded. I become illegal. My diamond self outdated data. I sing a song whose lyrics demand release. Put me on repeat and let me glitter. Spam me with beautiful desire for new and newer. Spam me or leave me forever. Come in contact with me or call me no more. Unsubscribe me so I can drop like rain from the uncaring cloud into the world of waves and fishes, watery miracles for anyone to pair, to put on. <laughs> so that was very Whitman-y. That was um. <laughs> super whitman But also... <laughs> Yeah, in so many ways, because, you know, he was so much of his time and the experience of walking through the world during his time, as is this piece of yours. And this, like, again, it brings us back to tension, right, between the body and the non-body and how are they integrated with each mm -hmm. other. Um, and obviously, the, I mean, there are certain points throughout that you repeat certain things, but the body is what we keep coming back to. And just as you had said, you know, we know that that's intentional on your part. I often, when I'm... Um, reading over or grading or, you know, advising like younger poetry. It's like, oh, don't repeat that word because I know you just weren't paying attention that you repeated that word. Right. <laughs> um, which is certainly not the case here. It drives us through and it's really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, how many times have we said like, do you have a good thesaurus? I mean, <laughs> to elementary students, yeah. that was like a, a reference question for them. Do you have something that you can delve into for a different word? Right. So the idea of using the same word over and over feels kind of forbidden in a lot yeah. of ways off limits mm -hmm. <laughs> I enjoy that about it too like yeah. you're you're um subverting like you're you are playing mm -hmm. with something purposefully mm -hmm. um that is a trope like don't reuse words but we want but to reuse words. To, but what if I did and also I'm in control okay <laughs> right the poetry police are going to come and get me yeah exactly <laughs> 
Oh, that was incredible. Well, thank you. Um, You said you had one more? I do. I have one that I I used a phrase, and then I turn it um, each... When I'm talking about facets, I'm also thinking about form. I really enjoy playing with hybrid forms. Mm -hmm. And this one is in a uh, lunar chart form. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a hybrid piece. Um, And I've put the quarters in there. So it was really important to me to make sure that I was turning um, constantly and returning, turning and returning. Mm -hmm. Um, So this one's called Lunar Chart Lost Year. First quarter. You take the incomplete necklace and wear it every day. And so does she. What's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. Fair. Waxing crescent. A moth clings to the ceiling. Only one side is visible, but the other is the same. French manicure, you examine the thumb for flaws and find none. The night is sweet and overripe. Someone has pressed their nail in it. New, as in, this is new, said in a tone that makes it clear the speaker doesn't like the object. Something essential is gone. Cinders in the fireplace from a log which refused at first to flame. The inside of eyelids. A child says carelessly, or worse, in a heartbroken tone, I dropped it. Waning crescent. The cecropia fluttered its wings and offskied. Nail clippings. Someone dog-eared the page of the book too firmly. Imprint crimped. Third quarter. Sometimes it's a divided heart. Sometimes a broken coin, a torn letter. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. Fair. Wane, er, waxing gibbous. Waning gibbous. I'm sorry, waning gibbous. Dog bowl on the slanted floor, the siren moving into the distance, the aching feet, the nearby chair. Full, the coin before it's dropped into the slot. The train has hit another deer. The frog produces the golden ball, and your stomach drops away, endless, dark. The magician has palmed the quarter. He pulls it from your ear. Nobody is surprised. What's mine is mine, but what's yours is mine. Waxing gibbous. It's not just the leaves, the slant of branch in the white lilac bush. Press here to reboot. Enough is as good as a feast. <laughs> that hit me in all the right places because I'm a big <laughs> moon person. <laughs> so I, was, I was really, so <clears throat> that one, the repetition you bring through what we know of as the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I loved about that maybe wasn't so much the repetition, but the images that related to those cycles, like the under the eyelids. I was like, oh my God, yeah, that is what that looks like. (laughs) Um, Very cool. Well, thank thank you you. so much, Sarah, for being on the show. Um, And if you want to experience more of Sarah and everything she has to offer, she teaches a workshop. Sarah? Yeah, I do. I teach at the Writer Center online and also at the Loft online. And um, I have an upcoming course called Hugo Poems, Writing the Cold Away with the Cozy Danish Concept. And it starts in February. Ooh. And we still have a number of slots left. So All right. Awesome. Could join us. That's exciting. Uh, thanks thanks again for being on the show, Sarah. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's well, great fun. to see you. Actually, I'm not going to let Sarah go just yet oh, because no? oh. our upcoming writing exercise. <laughs> I love how excited you are. I get really excited about the writing exercises <laughs> because I don't write enough. I was going to say it's like that time when like, we actually have to. Yes. We finally write something down. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so actually, Sarah is going to give us our assignment. Sarah. I am. And it's a really simple one. It's one that I mentioned. Okay. I'm going to start you off. Every every time you pause for a second, you're going to return to the phrase, I remember. 
I ah, remember. Okay. And you're going to focus on the senses, and you can go as far back or as recent as you want and kind of go back and forth between the two. Um, but that's, we'll see what you get from that. Fantastic. Okay. That's all. That's our only that's stipulation. It. That's all. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, um, and we'll find out what we come up with right after the break and a piece that utilizes repetition by interlooper Alex Slotnick. Stay tuned. Gather. <laughs> gather. Gather, please. Gather in. Gather round, gather round for the second half. And we're gonna get started. We're gonna get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. I'm gonna be reading from the beginning of uh a novel in progress called Shrug. The indoor gym of King Grom Public Elementary School was an accidentally brutalist navy concrete slab standing detached from the school at the extreme backside under four crisscrossing floodlights on Himalayan poles that the custodial staff never turned off. At night, the gym hulked in its compass of shadows like a boxer lit in the ring. Flanked by sweeps of gremonade grass, chicken weed, and dandelion disco balls, it looked for most views with its emphatic right angles and pancaked roof like a military super lab, or with its non-windows abattoir. On a recent night, four men lay in clumps inside the gym, depleted. They were scattered on the hardwood of the basketball court, winded and awed by what had been their fist fight. The varnished floor was wide, and with one's cheek flat against it, gazing from wall to wall, appeared to have some vague bend, like the horizon's curvature on a clear and Nordic day. Each man was tenderized in his own right. Grom's gym had them lightly and temporarily disfigured, in face and flesh in the fabric of their clothes, all flushed and displaced sideways by a centimeter or two. Barely perceptible, but the sort of thing if you encountered in the street would be enough to set the senses in alarm. This man is askew. Their limbs overhung accordion mats, half-collapsed bleachers. Dark sneaker tracks on the maple streaked amid their bodies like skate gashes on acres of blackened ice. Wow, we thought one man generally. He'd managed to land not a single clean punch, as no one had. Another could be seen in his corner, conspiring to throw his shoe at an enemy. A civic gloom akin to a loss of religion. But for three of the four, the damage was mostly embarrassment. Bicep contusions and pulled groins represented the majority injuries. The combat had been incompetent, although vicious in mood and sincere. There were dark red banners hung along the gym's high covings. Only one row of lights was on and dangled over a central strip of gym as an alley's mellow street lamps. In the shadows, there was just, one, there was just more hardwood, air filled with particulates and labored breathing. The three uninjured men were on their backs. They had lain themselves down voluntarily, lowered to their knees, put down a supporting hand out of breath, and sort of mind-fucked that genuine fists had been thrown. The fourth man was belly down, just as he'd fallen when he'd slipped and dislocated his jaw against the shiny flooring, now beaded with sweat and a spare pointillism of blood. An oversized ceiling fan with something like double the normal number of arms whirled on its metal noodle, hung from the ceiling, and it bobbed a particularly big drone of dust and sustained levitation just beneath it. Paul, 
face up below the fan, caught his breath until he slid into a mental mode where determining the blade count was of supreme priority. Nearby, Woodson, with the fucked up jaw, stood uncertainly, coped with dizziness, then started a bouncy strut, fancying himself the winner by virtue of most bombastic highlight. He stopped when humbled by pain from his flapping mouth. When his ringtone announced, never gonna give you up, he hadn't the heart or facial mechanics to answer. He lay down again. The number of blades minced Paul's concentration. A visual hack he discovered while lying on the couch at home when confronting his own five-blader at high speed had revealed that if he circulated his eyes along the circumference of the fan's rotation and the blurring blades, he could isolate the blades and make them appear stationary while the room itself adopted the spin of the blades. From that position, while the fan's blades were stilled in his sight, it was possible to ascertain the blade's five count at a glance, or he could even leapfrog his eyes from blade to blade and count in distinct units of blade. The hack worked here too, and he suspended the blade's movement on the giant turbine where, by whirling his eyeballs across the blades. However, the sheer number of blades on this fan was too high, too many blades for him to recognize the blade number in an instant with one appraising look. He closed his eyes against the blades. He figured he was able to read a group of seven objects without issue. Two groups of three plus one, all obvious in summary. But collections of eight were where his mental arrangements were no longer automatic, and he had to count. He aimed to leapfrog between blades and found that this fan was too big, blades too many, and he lost track of where he'd started, which blade, the blades moving, and from this distant identical. He could therefore say at least the fans had more than seven blades, as their number eluded him. He punched the floor with more success than when targeting his peers. You're mumbling, mumbled Woodson with the gnarly face to Paul, who had been. The dust drone spun out of its gyre and descended, landed on Woodson's nose, who sneezed, then shrieked at the stress on his jaw. The will of King Grom, god of petty elementary battles. An Adidas arced through the air and mortared the floor winches, inches from Woodson's gut. Thank you. Welcome back. Are we, are we, we back? Were, <laughs> we're so <laughs> intensely writing. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio, broadcasting live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. That was Alex Lotnick reading from his novel in progress entitled Trug. While you were listening to that awesome example of repetition and writing, Courtney and I were attempting to create examples of our own, and Sarah is going to tell us how we did, what works, and what maybe needs, needs a little bit of work. Nothing, nothing. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, I'm going to let Courtney go first because I just have to finish this sentence. So, so Sarah, can you remind our listeners what our prompt was? We were to repeat. So your prompt was to repeat, I remember, and use as many senses as possible. Okay. Just keep returning to that phrase. Okay. So here's what I've got in those those five minutes or whatever that was. When I awake in the mornings and throw off the covers, a damp sweat clinging to my body, signaling the slippery change from March to April, I remember that somehow summer comes every year. I remember humid nights by the river, reggae, soccer fields. I remember the acrid mulch hanging around us teenagers, covering the smells of weed and body odor and anticipation. When, then, I rise to pull the damp t-shirt over collarbone, feet touching the floor, not yet warmed with the air, I remember the crevices between us. Hmm. 
Well, you did get a number of senses in there. <laughs> My favorite word, too, like acrid. If we can just put acrid in every in single writing, <laughs> that would be wonderful. New prompt. <laughs> Great. Just a, repeat acrid. A over little and over. bit much if you were doing acrid, acrid, acrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> and I think, like, as the, the poet in me wants to go, stick to I remember. Because um, those intro lines are the ordinariness of the day, where yes. the specialness is in the memory. Um, mm. And I think that it it almost doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter where you are musing this thing. Um, it's so poetic and so strong in the rhythm of the lines of your memory that the the outskirts of it, are, they, they pale. Don't frame it. Right, mm-hmm. they don't frame it in the way that... Um, that you would want it. You could maybe reverse it. Right. Um, and that, that might actually um, give a little bit of tension in there. Ooh, I like yeah, that idea. I was thinking about that. I was like, which should come from, do I, did I want to just like open up with the, I remember, or was that too much? But you think that might be a better way to. I, yeah, I think lean okay. into it. Um, lean in. Re- <laughs> That's what repetition is all about. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> all right, Rachel, your right. turn. I, I leaned in. Okay. I remember the smell, soft, fragile, almost imperceptible, but everything everywhere. I remember tiny fingers touching my fingers. I remember wanting to fuse them, wanting to take them back into me. I remember her pinched expression, features not yet expanded into the space of this wide world. I remember her cry, a small thing barely filling the room, but something I heard in, my, in the pores of my skin, in the molecules of my blood, in the echoes of my soul. I remember the feeling of helplessness. I felt under the pressure of such a delicate and massive charge. I remember feeling weak. I remember feeling alone. I remember feeling lost in an endless desert of something foreign called motherhood. Mm. Well, I like what you've done there with the the um, the the confined space. I think that's another thing that repetition mm. does is it really limits your focus. Mm-hmm. You are in that moment every single time you just return to that. And I think especially in this topic um, where you're having such an intimate moment with your baby, that it's it's really important because then it sort of strips of sentimentality. You you are focused on the sounds and the, the, um, mm. the, the sounds of the words, not just the sounds that the baby is making. Mm-hmm. And I think that that changes it from a topic that can be... Um, maybe too feely yeah. to, to something that is almost scientific. Like you are holding this thing so close. Just, this thing. Just this baby. This yeah. thing. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about a human. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are um, we, though? This, this baby thing. Uh, <laughs> it's not a puppy, Rachel. <laughs> They're little aliens, man. Just little aliens. Right, but you do get that sense yes. that this is something that you it's are boring. so unfamiliar with mm-hmm. that you need to... Um, Hold, hold it close and examine it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's what preserves the, um, the integrity of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you said, we are lying together on the bed, you know, like, and I'm staring into her beautiful eyes, it would change <laughs> it entirely then to move into I remember. Because yeah. memory mm-hmm. can also be, you can overdo it so easily. Mm-hmm. You have to be very careful. But somehow that, that strips it away. And I think within that space, you can take away I feel. Um, because you're, mm-hmm. you're in the moment and we are feeling with you, mm-hmm. but it was beautiful. Yeah. Thank, well, thank you, you Sarah, so much for guiding Sarah. us. This is so yeah. fun and, uh, informational. 
educational if you were. No, I feel inspired. That's what I mean to say. I feel inspired. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, That's our show. Join us in two weeks right here on Full Service Radio or on your favorite podcasting app for more literary fun. Next month, we'll be talking all about love, how to write about it, and how not to write about it. So tune in to listen on whatever streaming site you use. Uh, To find out more about us or to submit to read your work at our next event, please visit us online at theinnerlooplit.org. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz, and our theme music is by Andrew Logan. Thanks again to Sarah Ann Wynn for joining us on the show, and a big thank you to our new radio intern, Abby Newhouse, who's been helping us get through our backlog of audio and was a big help with this episode. (laughs) Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You know, I keep imploring that. SoundCloud or any other streaming site you may use. Podcasts thrive on reviews like yours, so if you want to support the Interloop Radio, take the time to tell the world why you love us on any of the streaming sites you use. Wait, was that was that something we were was that an epistrophe by it the way? It was. Uh, I listeners hope you were paying attention. Paying attention. <laughs> anyway, don't yeah, forget. We're done. Don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. We yeah. Happy writing. Yeah, right on, man. Right on. <laughs> Woman, non-conforming gender. Anyway, just write. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.